Hey everybody, welcome to episode 12 of Finding Extraordinary. Hey, before we get started, I want to give a little love to our sponsor, Strong Coffee Company. Strong Coffee brings that specialty coffee experience to consumers in a healthy, done-for-you pre-mixed powder that includes instant organic coffee, grass-fed collagen protein, and MCT oil powder to fuel your mind and body for hours so you can spend more time and energy on the important things in life. No brewing, no blending, no bullshit. Guys, I love this coffee. I drink it all the time. And you can go to strongcoffeecompany.com to get 15% off your order using the code SETH, S-E-T-H. Again, get 15% off your order using the code SETH, S-E-T-H, at strongcoffeecompany.com. Now let's get the podcast started. In this episode, serial entrepreneur, philanthropist, adventurer, and explorer, Keith McBride and I continue our conversation. We first talk about how Keith is currently training to summit Mount Everest. This will complete his overall goal of topping the seven summits. Next, we talk about mentorship, Keith's mentors and his favorite mentoring moments. Then we get into what makes someone extraordinary. Around 31 minutes, we talk about exploration. In the 41-minute mark, we talk about my ticket to see the world and how to travel to find the paradise on the inside. Then we talk about taking a chance. Second to last, we talk about how to be the best you. And finally, we get into what drives Keith McBride. Let's get it started. The truth is, no one is born extraordinary. But everyone has extraordinary inside of them. It just has to be found. Welcome back to Finding Extraordinary. I am your host, Seth Markson. Each and every episode will deliver an exciting guest or message that will expand your mind and provide insight that will help unlock the secrets to finding your extraordinary. Thank you for spending some time with me. Let's get it started. So when you're preparing to climb Mount Everest, I want to compartmentalize what it takes. And I want to do that in, in forms of mentality and physicality. But I want to first ask you, mentally, what does it take to prepare to climb Mount Everest and then to actually do it? Yeah, I think um, in a mountain like that, uh, it takes an awful lot of preparation. Uh, It's obviously not a walk in the park. Um, You could spend years training to be prepared for this mountain. Um, But I think uh, it's, it's that whole adage of, you know, bite off what you can chew. Realize it's a very um, lofty goal. It's a very exceptional goal, and there's going to be a lot of components to it. 
which you brought up. There's a, a mental game. And in climbing, um, yes, you have to be in excellent physical, physical condition pending on the mountain, um, or you can be in okay physical condition, and you're going to enjoy, enjoy it more or less pending on where you're at and how much you accomplish your goals before you get there. And so I'm excited and train really hard to go back to Denali again because I know that even the more prepared that I am, I'm going to experience and enjoy it just, just that much more. Uh, when you look at Everest and when you definitely have risks of your life and things like that on the line, um, we're here to mitigate risk, to safely enjoy and explore, and to accomplish um, amazing and extraordinary things along the way. Um, so when it comes to kind of breaking it down, um, I personally have a daily trainer with heart rate monitor and, and um, sophisticated software that's helping me understand um, how much, how hard I can push uh, at different levels of uh, heart rates uh, because contrary to popular belief, when you're up there huffing and puffing and sweating, um, your actual heart rate is tanking. And so you might be experiencing a climb in the, some of the most strenuous conditions and you're at like 115 beats per minute, which would be you know, a light walk maybe uh, down on the beach. Um, and so you need to train and need to learn the science of um, your own body, um, pressing hard to build the right type of muscle and to um, allow your body to slowly be kind of shocked into being able to um, safely and wonderfully enjoy um, that type of a climb with your legs. Mm -hmm. um, you're also battling uh, hypoxia, which is a, a, a lot less oxygen at altitude uh, than you have down at sea level. And so over time in training, your body learns to be able to um, uh, perform at altitude. Um, so when it comes to the physical side, yes, you want to you know, go get cold to learn how to be warm in a cold place. Do a number of climbs. Uh, experience what it's like to spend 22 hours plus uh, in a tent during a storm and, and not go crazy. Um, <laughs> battle some of the wonderful, like when you get up to altitude, you don't have an appetite, but you know you need to eat. Um, and so there's a whole laundry list of, of things that you wouldn't think of. Um, that's all part of the fun, to be honest, and kind of learning and being able to Hey, I remember the day I really didn't know that lesson. That was a tough day, but it's amazing to be this comfortable, be in such a beautiful place, feel so prepared for this that I get to bring in everything that this expedition offers because I'm not worried about this, that, or the other. So that mental preparedness is really important. The physical preparedness allows you to be in the moment and experience it. Um, and I would just say uh, for Everest, it's uh, not only, that, well, for Everest, uh, it's also a big uh, expense. And so if you set a goal like that kind of a mountain, um, there's a big pretty penny that you're going to spend to be able to get there. And so it now drives into your uh, work ethics and your work at home, your savings ability, your planning, um, your responsibilities, because I'm sure there's other things that are needed from your budget than just mm -hmm. a, a lofty, expensive trip off to a mountain. Um, and so it, it's all about balance and understanding um, how to segment out such a large goal and break it into pieces and then being willing to stay true to that process of achieving those one after another. Mm -hmm. um, and I think ultimately, once you put all of that together and you fly in and you get to the mountain, um, then it's a little bit up to Mother Nature on whether or not she lets you, let you up to the top or doesn't. Because all of the preparation in the whole world, you could be in the best shape ever, uh, you could be there and have planned every single minute thing down to a T, and simple thing like a storm can come in and, and push off the mountain. And you have to be willing to accept that that could happen. 
Um, and that can be also a really hard thing is to not have summit fever and not just be like, well, I've, I personally have put in so many years. I've saved so much money that this is, I'm just going to press it to the top. It's like, no, uh, the mountain's not going anywhere and we're taking a chance at the summit. And I think, like I was explaining earlier, uh, when you look back, even if you had tried and failed, uh, the journey and the goal and what you went through to get there and all that you experienced, at least for me, if I if I never made it to the top of that mountain, I am so thankful that that mountain was my goal mm -hmm. because the life experiences and things I've had along the way. But uh, knock on wood, I hope to get to the top. Yeah, I'm, hope, <laughs> I'm hoping you make it there too because so. you, you have been to Everest before. Uh, no. You haven't. Mm -mm. So this is the first time. So this will be... Um, We've climbed all but a rock scramble of Karsten's Pyramid, which is kind of a one-day, um, very technical but very doable one-day climb. Um, Vincent in Antarctica, which if uh, you can get there, and it's decent weather, is uh, also not the most challenging mountain. It's a very, very high level of success. Uh, so we have those two in the midst, but um, Everest is the uh, last remaining uh, major summit, um, and we're, we're, right, we're right there. So we're in the middle of training now. Man, that's so exciting. Yeah. Now, how will you know if you want to do it in 2021 or 2022? What What is the factor for you? Um, it comes down to a possible expedition, uh, again, back to Denali. Really just, um, we're training. I would love for um, the climb to have as many able and, and desiring people to come on the team, whether that's uh, just one or two or three. I'd love to provide time. So uh, as we're looking at partners and schedules, um, it's a very large time commitment. So if you're not acclimated on a mountain before, you can spend up to 72 days just acclimating on site, mm -hmm. living in the town of Base Camp Everest. Uh, and then you're going to get that one opportunity within a couple of week period to try to make a run for the top. So um, sometimes it has just logistical you know, issues. Um, sometimes it's natural. We had a avalanche that went through Base Camp. Uh, we had a strike from the porters after uh, an event up there. And... And so there can be some uh, political or geographic issues that get in the way. And so uh, when we say we hope, it's because that's the plan. And then mm -hmm. we, we uh, dodge, uh, shift, and adjust to all the wonderful things life throws at us. And so <laughs> uh, we, we, I wish for a sunny day to be perfectly there right when I want to be there and all to work out. But sometimes it doesn't work that way. Well, I'm, I'm really hoping it does. I mean, that, I appreciate that. that would be absolutely incredible to reach the summit of Everest. I mean... Anyone who, who wants to accomplish something recognizes Everest. They know. Like, you know, they, people always ask me, what's your Everest? Mm, mm -hmm. It is the top, and you're taking that, you know, physically head on. Yep. That is so cool. Um, now, what besides Mount Everest is something that you are looking to accomplish? What? Because you've done so much. You've been to so many places. What's what's next for you? Um. I think after the experiences I've had for me, um, first at some point actually coming back from all these things and, and being lucky enough to uh, uh, get married and have a family. Mm. <laughs> it's easier said than done. Yeah, big, uh, big release uh, news flash here. Uh, not <laughs> married and uh, no kids, so it allows for some of these things. Uh, but very much look forward to that um, and understand that sometimes the lifestyle of, of being on expeditions and being gone, um, it doesn't make you the most uh, eligible bachelor all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, but so for me, uh, is to kind of balance that out also, so engage in that next chapter, uh, be able to find um, a balance between those two uh, that works. And I've had some wonderful climbing partners that, that do have families and whatnot. And so uh, it can be done. And uh, I look forward to that chapter. Uh, really, my heart is 
um, ever-changing as we talked about changing goals and getting more into the uh, teaching and the inspiring and the wanting to show people um, I've been blessed with two lifetimes worth of um, absolute amazing places I've been and travel experiences and people that I've met that I just I come back um, here and you and you can't help but want to share all of that and uh, have to be careful because not everybody <laughs> shares the enthusiasm. Right. I'm certainly not trying to, you know, it's never in a, in a heart of trying to just uh, boast about it or show off. But like, I really, I really do truly through education uh, and um, through coaching or even just inspiring or uh, an avenue like this, just taking the time to say, hey, if there's anything ever that I could do to help, um, I want to engage and in, in go into that further. Uh, apply the lessons and the skills I've learned to conservation and philanthropy to preserve these amazing places that I've been and uh, to you know, honor those that have spent a lifetime of work to work uh, in those regions um, and to show their research and their effort to make a difference. Um, where I don't want to you know, open up Pandora's box here, but I personally believe, and it's just my belief, that we're entering into an extremely erratic and interesting climate situation um, that impacts so many of the places I've been and seen that, mm-hmm. um, and, and there's just so much left to be learned about how we're impacting it or not and what's really happening and not. And so I think my efforts uh, will continue to explore the, some of the beautiful things that I've got on my checklist to see personally, but um, I'd love to, now that I've seen interact with these places, really help conserve, build, educate, and introduce um, others to, to these things. Man, um, I just want to recognize you for having... It's one of the biggest hearts that I've, in a person that I've ever met. I mean, that is so amazing. The the fact that you not only just want to help society, help with different cultures around the world, and just help the preservation and conservation of the world in general, but you have the means to do it. I mean, so many people say they want to do things. I want to do this. I want to do that. But execution is king above all. And and you take action to do that. So I just I really quickly I just want to recognize you for that and say well, thank, thank you. you. That is so so awesome to just be in the presence of someone like that. Um, the other thing I want to ask you is that you know if you had like a, a a young kid or you know someone who really wants to accomplish something or is just starting out, what would you say to them? Um, I would say. Uh, to the adult or to the person that's got the child to um, pay real close attention to two things, you know, um, introductions to different ideas and concepts. Um, So uh, smell, see, touch, breathe, be part of experience uh, things with a a young child. Um, They're they're some of the purest hearts in the world. And... um, they may not know exactly what they want to be when they grow up, and um, often adults sometimes have an idea of what they want their child to be when they grow up, but you never know. And so to take take your child out and introduce them to youth organizations or um, take them to the museums or take them on small uh, trips that uh, they're going to remember the rest of their lives, you know, whether they loved it or liked it or maybe didn't like it so much. Um, and then uh, secondly, just be really um, observant of, uh, what they're enthusiastic about. And in this world today, especially with technology, um, I, I truly believe you could do what you're passionate about and monetize that and live a wonderful life um, doing almost anything or a derivative of whatever your goal is. And mm-hmm. so 
just um, watch watch the enthusiasm explode when you identify maybe one or two things that that child is interested in and you take that extra step um, to guiding them to be introduced to or to touch or to feel or to be uh, in and around what it is they're passionate about. Um, because I think we have a responsibility of making sure these experiences happen. It's easy to get sucked into the iPhone um, world or cell phone world and internet and whatnot and um, through games and visual effects, you know, you could sit home all day long and never touch these things. It's just not the same. And I think many parents can agree that um, there's an importance to being able to utilize technology to get access to, to see, to inspire, to touch, to learn. Um, but then I would say, hey, make sure between um, your busy life and uh, the time that's left over that, that uh, we're giving them access to experience and touch and create a platform for them to grow up and explore what they're interested in. Man, that is such an amazing answer. Super, super great. Um, the other thing that I always ask to all of my guests who come on, what are your favorite books that you'd recommend? And who are your mentors? And or what are your most memorable and or favorite mentoring moments that you either provided or that you received? Uh, sure. Um, it might be a little cliche here with some of my answers, but uh, when I think when it comes to um, personally for me, um, I read the Bible. I follow the, uh, the book. Uh, it's my, my religion and my faith. So um, follow uh, whatever your spiritual or religious you know, book is to give framework to you. Um, I read that and do daily devotionals. Um, I believe when I was um, younger, really important books to me were things that explored um, creativity and adventure. So I read a lot of Clive Cusler, um, some fiction, some nonfiction, but mm -hmm. things that allowed uh, my mind to um, explore and wonder and see and create. I think that's really important. Uh, in business, um, I've, I've, I've read and been part of almost every kind of business development book, at least I could get my hands on for many years and have quite the library of Anthony Robbins. Um, some of the work that he's done in his books um, have been very important to me. Robert Kiyosaki and Rich Dad, Poor Dad and the series of all of his uh, works are fantastic. Um, uh, you'll find an awful lot in the kind of the business sections. I know many people have heard these names, but read them. Um, uh, Seven Habits of Highly successful people, uh, how to win friends and influence people. Um, these are all business communication and good, you know, ways to interact and communicate and help and be part of a community and others um, and digest these books, you know, di dive into them, read them, highlight them, mark them up. And um, I would say that, that probably a mix of those will give you a good balance of, of business strategy to approach the goal uh, and a little bit of uh, inspiration uh, behind it. Um, some of my, uh, again, when it comes to kind of mentors, I didn't have um, anybody in my family that did true business. Uh, I was really the first businessman in the family, mm -hmm. a lot of trade work and whatnot. So um, I found that I would be thirsty for a mentor uh, at whatever level, whether it was a professor at school and business school or a neighbor that was willing to take five hours to teach me something new. Um, but seek out mentorship. Seek out people that know how to do something that you want to learn how to do. Um, thank them profusely for it and uh, engage and let them know how interested you are. And if, if one or two people aren't so interested in taking on a mentee, I've walked straight up and said, w if I build the program and if I um, ask you um, 
to provide uh, XYZ, would you look at it and possibly agree to it? And I've had a couple that say, I don't have the time. I've been like, I would love to do it. If you put it together, I'll take a peek at it. So if you can't find mentors, then you can kind of help create them uh, by mm -hmm. putting it together. Um, I would say for me, some of my favorite mentoring or mentee moments uh, went into one earlier about the kind of the gumball machine and the Boy Scout leaders. Uh, there's far more moments of you know, how to build snow caves and survive in the woods and live through cold nights and stuff that were provided by those type of like youth leaders and whatnot. But I have to give credit to uh, my, my DMLA, um, which is a youth organization, uh, and Boy Scouts and these experiences for the many different mentors that were there. Mm -hmm. um, I think that uh, I have to thank my mother because these mentoring, <laughs> the, the lifelong mentor moments that have happened from her uh, has been incredible and uh, getting um, education and truly just being so much more than here's the way to do it, here's a plan, go execute. Um, having people in your life that just absolutely believe you can do it and even when you sound crazy or you change your mind or you work for something and you, you shift it, say, I just really, I, I'm so excited for you to do that and I know you can get there and it may not always be easy, but I'm always here for you. And whether that's a parent or that's a friend, find a person or two like that, that just you can, you, and, and that you feel the same way about um, and share that connection because it's really important during some of the harder times um, and it's something that you'll appreciate and keeps you going. Um, I think when it comes to serving as a mentor, um, I had an opportunity to work with uh, Mission of Hope down in Tite in Haiti. And uh, this was a time after, um, of course, the earthquake and some issues that had happened down there. And there's uh, Tite is a place where many of the bodies were buried from Port-au-Prince and the surrounding areas um, because so many people passed away in that tragedy. Um, it's a poor place and people go there because the locals believe that it's haunted and that there's spiritual things. Uh, there's a lot of influence of Catholicism and voodoo all kind of mixed up in their culture there. Um, and so um, it's a little bit like the kind of the untouchables in India in a sense. Um, mm, okay. That it's, not maybe that's the wrong word, untouchables, but um, uh, it's, it's a poor place and it's a place that has so much hope. And Mission of Hope has done such an incredible job connecting with that community. And I had the opportunity to go down kind of from the finance side and work with not only the staff of the organization um, and do some personal financial planning and meet with the directors and whatnot. But one of my favorite moments was bringing um, what we call the village champions uh, into the office. So these are kind of early 20s. You know, they usually are having kids and are full families and, you know, grown men about 20 to 24 years old. Mm -hmm. um, and they're the leaders of the small communities. And these are leftovers from Clinton administration, you know, built, you know, huts with, you know, whatever means, whatever uh, things were issued at that time from our government to kind of support them and from around the world and different uh, things. So these are uh, makeshift tent, you know, tent communities and built, I mean, they're very, very poor places, um, but they have their systems in place. They have their community and the top leaders um, come together and they want to, what everyone wants, they want to provide education, they want to figure out a way to, to make more money and be successful to help their families and to, to spread that knowledge throughout their community and make a difference and help raise everybody up. And um, it was a truly neat experience to sit in a place that um, has very different uh, understandings of how things work. There, there isn't a stock market. There isn't a concept of retirement. You don't work and then retire. Um, there isn't a, a place you can earn interest uh, on your money. You don't even trust the banks um, <laughs> at all. Zero. Wow. And 
Um, so to, to bring in these wonderful and soulful energy and ambitious and caring uh, uh, people into a room and sit down and say, how can, how can we serve and how can we help you? Um, and just as a quick anecdote, one had raised his hand and said, uh, you know, I have this friend uh, and he has paper and he takes paper to, around and he sells the paper and it makes enough money for him, his family, the community, and it's doing all sorts of things. And like, I'm really, really excited for him, but I'm also a little jealous. I want to um, sell paper too so that I can have that same success. But he's a friend of mine and I feel really bad about like the fact that if I'm in the same community selling paper, that now I'm a competitor and I'm going to lose a friend. And this was a very serious and real concern for him. And it was neat to kind of look and just say, well, let's let's take some hands in the room and think about it. Um, what things go along with paper? What's paper used for? What what ideas other than paper? And a couple of suggestions came out. And I said, well, have you ever thought of maybe selling pencils or pens and partnering with your friend who sells paper and always adding the additional question, hey, you've purchased this paper from me. Uh, do you happen to have a need for pencils and pens to go along with it? And this, the look on his face and just the group, the aha moment. I mean, these aren't business people. Um, they, they, a lot of them haven't had any formal education. And it was just that spark of being like, oh, my God, there's a way that I can have success, too. I can work really hard. I'm not in competition, but can work with a friend of mine. That it was like he was so excited he could have ran out of the room. And it was just like, and they just wanted more. They, they wanted more time and more time to ask questions and get perspective. And so... Um, I, I truly know that suggesting pens and pencils for paper isn't a, a, a genius <laughs> revelation to anybody, but what made it so important to me was just to see that a creative think tank of people with such desire and passion could come up with an idea or two that would just lead to a fueling. I mean, gosh, who knows the ripples that, can, that have come from that. I haven't had a chance to follow up with them in the last couple of years, but um, I think the point is, is that anytime you're mentoring um, some of the favorite moments are when your heart sees that you've inspired uh, other people and you can see, um, it, you don't often get to see the rippling effects of that. And if you're lucky enough to see that, to know that it's making a difference. Um, and it really felt neat to just be part of that and to be able to be the one serving them. So, Man. That is, it's amazing. It's amazing because um, I empathize, I empathize with that on on the receiving end because uh my my passion or the reason why i love doing this podcast is because i'm so curious i'm so curious for into like why people are the way they are how people are different and then you know what what makes them different and i'm just naturally curious about that and you know, through through the podcast, bringing on different guests, kind of diving into their mindset and who they are, um, I I feel like I get the the pleasure of having a new mentor every time I I do a recording, and that aha moment about the the selling paper or selling pencils with paper is a, something that comes to me every single time I get to sit with you or or you know another guest and it's just like holy shit i didn't think about that before <laughs> and you've been doing this your whole life like that is so incredible well, and now and i have this new information <laughs> in all selfishness it's like when you when you approach me about this topic and to talk about it um i was like well i i really hope i have something 
of value that someone might take the time in their busy lives and days that, that might be that inspiration. But gosh, I'm just really excited about what you're doing because I get to go and listen to all these people <laughs> that you've interviewed and I get to learn so much. So it's, it's super excited, you know, to be here and, and hope that uh, anything that I've said has made even just a spark of a difference or given a new idea. But just thank you so much for providing a platform uh, for continued student of, of life and learning uh, for me to be able to come discuss with you, get closer to this kind of pursuit of just trying to understand what makes people do what they do and um, it's amazing. Appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> the challenge of understanding what makes somebody who they are or what makes somebody extraordinary, um, I totally believe, as I know just in previous conversations with you, that I think everybody is extraordinary in their own ways. I, I truly do mean that. Um, but I also do feel that some people develop their natural um, God-given or what say you uh, skills and whatnot uh, differently, and they put they put more or less effort, or they or some of the skills they don't know they have are undeveloped, or they don't meet the right mentor, or um, whatever it is, they don't take chances or risk. Maybe someone's more risk averse or a risk taker. Um, it's a super challenging, so interesting thing to say. You know, what is it um, innately that gets that process started? Um, and I know there's a, a number of things that might end the process. Somebody used to do something super whatever and it's just chapter in life, you know, cut it off. But I'm so interested in kind of learning about the different types of of ways um, one gets started, if that makes sense. So I, I, like, I, <laughs> I like that. And what I, what I, where I would like to take that is kind of what you said about your parents growing up. Um, they said, dream big, build a plan to chase your dreams and go after it. That isn't always the case in my opinion. It, it just can't be. Right. I'm sure there are plenty of people without parents. Plenty, plenty of people, people don't have sure. parents. Their parents <clears throat> think differently. But in this case, your parents allowed you to grow up with those thoughts in your mind and to think that, you know what? It's okay to dream as big as you want and go after it. So that's that's a place where I would start to to kind of research. But then it also could I mean it, it dives into exploration. What what do people get to explore? And that could be anything in terms of a location in terms of a teaching, um, like you were talking about with, with the, the folks that you, that you met in that one region, they haven't been able to explore coming up with an idea and selling something that could complement something else that someone else is selling. They haven't been able to explore those ideas yet until you brought it up to them. Yeah. And brought so it up or, or helped, Exposed. Just, yeah, just give a give a a template or a place or a moment in time to be creative and think about it. And I think that you once asked me kind of what does exploration mean to me, and um, as I was thinking about that uh, question, I was saying there's so much. Uh, there's geographical exploration. There's historical. There's educational. There's emotional. There's self uh, exploration uh, in what you're doing and. Um, 
I think that being, I believe that the first step is really just being willing to carve out a little bit of time to think about and research what that means to you. And for someone, it might be a topic or a book. So you're going to educate yourself and dive deep. Another it might be a geographical place that just absolutely blows your mind. Uh, so buy that plane ticket, find whatever means makes you feel safe and comfortable going, whether that's an Airbnb or a hotel or a best friend or a family member. Um, just really um, look uh, at making that first step and then also watching and being in touch with yourself and how we change throughout life and kind of um, I guess it's a proactive mindset that that this world um, if you're not the one planning if you're not the one pushing if you're not the one shaping and creating and adjusting and putting pressure on I assure you someone else is and we have the ability to build a life by design for ourselves. There are all sorts of circumstances, and, and some people have um, amazing opportunities and, and others do not. I think uh, Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow game is a great example of that. And you, mm -hmm. you draw out a card you know, out of the 100 cards, and it's an average plumber's life, how many kids, what they make, what they do, their education level, what they own today in the U.S. You might pull the brain surgeon card. You might... Uh, you, but you'll pull a myriad of different professions. And what that game shows you is with the right approach and with the right um, luck, um, and I define it as, you know, I'm, I'm, a <laughs> I'm stealing this one, I'm a great believer in luck, and the harder I work, the more I find of it. Yeah. And it's a Thomas <laughs> Jefferson quote. I, I may have misquoted him with a word or two, but that's the idea. And uh, preparedness meeting opportunity is luck. And so what that game shows is that if you... Um, our, our balance and making the right choices fundamentally that when opportunities come about, you can take advantage of just a small portion of those and really exponentially elevate yourself in this particular goal. It's to make a certain amount of money and break through and whatnot, but there's plenty of other goals out there. It's just, um, it doesn't matter where you come from and it doesn't matter what you started with, I believe innately. Um, I mean, it matters, but I'm saying that take your unique um, ingredients and then dig deep uh, by exploring your heart and finding that fire, that passion, that desire that motivates you emotionally. And then go and, I, and identify your personal skill sets that you feel are the things that you're the best at. And find a bunch of people to just be near, to ask more of, and to explore those certain threads. Because what you're fantastic at, what might be some of your natural born given talents, I may never be good at at all. And some of the things that, that I'm into, um, I might just be exceptionally good with hand-eye coordination or, or very easy, which is not the truth. It, language does not come to me easy, <laughs> but uh, I might have, you know, let's say I'm really good with language. But um, I just think it's working together, um, exploring all of these factors and understanding that, um, I know it's a little cliche, but um, exploration uh, is the, I don't remember my quote now, crap. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> um, uh, oh, God, I got two things in my head. <laughs> Shoot, I really wish I could have finished with them. Um, what, what's exploration to you is what? No, it was two quotes. It was a, the cliche one and then the, one of the things I always say is that I, although I do agree that life is like a box of chocolates um, and you never know what you're going to get, that's true. <laughs> I often think of it as like life is like a pomegranate. 
<laughs> you really want that sweet nectar. Um, and depending on how you go after it, it can be a real pain in the butt um, or with the right tools and the right people and whatnot. Uh, it can be it can be really easy to get, and mm. we constantly kind of navigate. You never know what you're going to get, but uh, I I do believe that the truth to it is have the entrepreneurial spirit and find it. Um, have the explorer's heart. Be curious. Um, so often, and even in my life, you can get so bogged down with responsibility and the day to day grind. Um, take yourself so far less serious sometimes just just try it as a practice and realize that um yes politics yes finance and money yes family all these things uh, where we live and the planet we're on and climate um they're all very important but um it's a miracle to be here and be thankful and wake up and be and truly build that attitude of gratitude and wake up and and take the practice of selling yourself out loud or writing down each morning what you're grateful for and then picking one of those things and, and making sure you're taking action each day to, to show that gratitude and realize that we're very, very, very lucky. Um, and that's not always easy, I understand, but um, really wake up and focus on that um, and, and enjoy the miracle of life uh, that we're, we're able to have and make the most out of these moments as we all know that they can be very fleeting and we never know how much time we have. And so if you're, if you're finding yourself in a rut or you're not um, you know, motivated or you don't know how, um, it just takes a little first step to get out there, um, explore and attest and find that inner passion and surround yourself with people like you and the other wonderful guests you've had on this show for the how-tos and the what's and um, just enjoy that ride and realize that um, every day that you're happier and more in touch and you're compassionate and passionate about what you're doing you have no idea the the ripples and the echoes through time that that those behaviors and those moments are going to have that that one day that you were excited and inspired about something and shared it with a friend was told to his friend who was told to their child and that child became you know somebody huge in that area or it inspired that first trip um and i know that I just in a brief discussion with you that you said one of the most amazing things, I mean, you can tell the story was just kind of buying the ticket and going and doing a, a big travel trip yourself for the first time. And it's like, there's some magic in how that happened. And that's the wonderful thing, you know, as somebody said something, something motivated something, some hard work you'd done before got you to the point where you took that step and you purchased that ticket and you made that small leap. And then the rewards of that decision are now almost a self-fulfilling prophecy of probably what happened will make you a constant and lifelong explorer mm -hmm. um, or traveler or whatnot. So tell us more about that. <laughs> well, I, I think I want to add on to what you were saying is, you know, when you have to find, you have to look for the spark. You have to first allow yourself to look for the spark and that's giving, your, giving yourself to the, the right to Go and ask different people. Go and f go and meet different people, or learn different things about the things that you enjoy, or quote unquote the things that you're passionate about. But the key factor, the key factor in my opinion, is you must execute. This you have to take the thought out of your head, write it down, text it, put it in your Word document, whatever device you use. 
put it on paper, then go do it in real life. Take action. That is the number one thing that will get you moving forward, in my opinion. Because allowing yourself to think about it is one part of the process. That's, that's like the gateway drug. Yep. You got to get yourself in the right mindset. And once you allow yourself to get into the right mindset, then you can take action on those thoughts. Yep. That's so important. Just give yourself the opportunity to do it. And if you don't do it right the first time, that's okay too. Give yourself the opportunity to fail and mess up because when you do that, you get to learn. Right. When I was talking about incremental steps, it's like set those first obtainable goals first. And it's like, if it's going down, if you wanted to be, let's say an outdoor rock, you know, climber a mountaineer, it's like the first step is to think about it, to write it down, to look online, to find the gym. The second is put it on your calendar to just simply get in your car, drive down, meet someone at the gym, the rock climber, ask for information and engage with physically being there, seeing it, and exploring it. And if at that point, that small little step, you decide you're not into it and it's not for you, well, well you've taken that minute, just that tiny little step forward to go see it and be in that world. But I would encourage you again to say, okay, you got there, you win. Now take that next step and take your first introductory class and give it a chance and see it and, and, and use that as a, as a platform for everything. Exactly what you said, you have to take action um, mm -hmm. or, or nothing's gonna happen. Exactly. And I want, I'll, I'll move this, I'll transition this into uh, me buying the ticket. And there, there's two takeaways from everything that I'm going to tell you. So I, back in 2015, um, I took a trip to Southeast Asia where I visited five different countries. I visited South Korea, uh, maybe it was four, South Korea, Thailand, Cambodia and Indonesia. So it was four. It was only four countries. What led me to, to buying that ticket was um, I was uh, not super happy with the job. And I ended up losing that job. And I've, I've met so many different people uh, and saw so many things on Instagram and social media with people like traveling. People who who were adults just doing these trips. And I'm like, well, wait a second. I have never taken a trip like this. That's crazy. How have I never taken a trip like this? And these people are just doing it. They're posting about it. And I'm like, I am so curious about what's out there. I want to go do that. So what led me, what gave me the opportunity to really go do it was losing a job. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go do it. I'm just going to get myself. I'm going to buy the ticket. And then once I buy a ticket, I just have to do it. So I bought a, I bought a round trip ticket uh, to and from South Korea. I'm like, okay. And there were 31 days between <laughs> when I get there and when I, when I leave. So It's a great way to take a first step because now you've got it. And, yep. yep. <clears throat> and this was a, a solo trip for the most part. My brother uh, lived in South Korea at the time. And uh, the first stop was to go see him. So go to South Korea and I go visit him in Osan. And it was so cool being with my brother in an international country. Mind you, this is like the second time yeah, cool. I've been international. Um, and I was just like, man, okay, cool. So we're in South Korea right now. This is crazy. Not a lot of people speak English. 
uh, where I'm seeing all these things that I've never seen before. I'm in a place that have that has different laws than I've ever abided to or had to abide to. So, you know, let's just figure it out. Well, I hang out with him, but then I leave to go to Busan. And I only heard about Busan. I was like, oh, Busan, I'm sure, is a great place. But then I get there, and I see freaking skyscrapers. Skyscrapers literally uh, 100 yards, 300 yards away from the beach where people are, like, just sitting out and tanning. And I'm like, holy shit, this is crazy. There's nothing like this that I know of in the States or that I've ever seen. But, like, wow, this is cool. So that was like the first, okay, I'm in a different place. And I was exploring that alone. Next, I fly to Thailand and put myself right in the middle of Bangkok. Bangkok is the craziest city I've ever been to in my life. It's all it's all hustle and bustle. It's always moving. Um, you think there's traffic in LA? Well, try like driving a tuk-tuk in the middle <laughs> of, of Bangkok. It's just crazy. Um, the, the funniest thing is that there's different crosswalks in Bangkok and there's not really like separated lanes, but there's always like multiple cars lined up or tuk-tuks, which are like kind of like motorbikes driving in one lane. But in the crosswalk, um, they, they don't necessarily stop. But if you just walk and continue moving forward, they will avoid you. You just have to like, it's Frogger count. with, with adjusting yeah. uh, taxis along the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you count your lucky stars and you just yep. walk across and you make it. it. It's just how it happens. But watch out in Lima, Peru because the white ones don't stop. Yes. Truly. <laughs> Actually, I, I haven't been there, but that is very, very good to know. So, you know, I'm in Bangkok. Then I get to go to, I travel to Phuket, which is South Thailand. And um, it's one of the most beautiful, uh, I don't know, locations I've ever been to. Um, it, it's just gorgeous. Anything you could think about, or anything you can think of regarding like a um, beach, beautiful retreat that's a little secluded. Um, they have beautiful areas they have like the party district they have you know the the district where you can like go and and do kickboxing and even watch a kickboxing fight it's just all out there and it's absolutely stunning and gorgeous and just off the shores of Phuket are other islands the Fifi Islands where there's no cars allowed on the islands and no cars or no motors so everything is is imported onto the island and literally the people who are bringing it on the island, they're carrying it on their backs. So the food that you're eating or, you know, the, the beverages that you're drinking, they come in boxes and people are just literally carrying them on my back, on their backs to wherever they need to take them. So I'm like seeing this all for the first time and it's, it's very revealing. It's like, wow, okay, anything that I thought I knew about the world, well, it holds true, but there's so much more. I, I love that point because I was trying to explain the other day as I've changed that we live in a world here that is, we, we grow up in it. We There are defined rules that we think everyone lives by. There's walls. There's a structure to it. And it's the red pill or the blue pill. When you go out and you travel and do the trips that you've done, I'm sure you've seen there are people that live 
and will always live in a completely, almost like a paradigm universe of understanding culturally, religiously, what they do daily, what their business life is like, what they have monetarily, um, how they spend their pastimes, what's important to them. And um, there are uh, unlimited amount of different ways to experience, experience this journey of life. And there's something amazing about going out and seeing that and then having the perspective to relate it, having been there and touched it, not just seen it on TV, but having experienced the streets, right? In a mm-hmm. tuk-tuk with the smells and the heat and the noise um, and how much fun it can be. And at the same time, you're like, wow, it's just so different from being at home. And um, it's an it's incredible perspective that I think um, will change you forever. 100%. Things that you get to see and the experience that you personally get or, you know, in my experience that I personally have had um, – we're, we're just very, very revealing. The, the fact that the American culture is not the only culture that's out there and to explore others was, was so uh, self, I don't want to say revealing again. I don't want to use that word, but it was just a aha moment. It was very like, okay, things work outside of the US and they work very well. I wonder why. I wonder what it is. Like that's that's where the wheel started turning. So that was from, you know, a very um outside of the of the onion, very macro level eye. That's kind of like what I started to think. Now, from Thailand I went to Cambodia and, you know, Cambodia is a very, at this point in time, it's a very third world country. It wasn't always that way. I had to learn like why it is a third world country now versus, you know, back then it was completely overtaken by, you know, a quote unquote terrorist group. Yeah. Hard history. And, and they knocked out like a third of Cambodia's population. If you, if you think about that for one second in, in you know, God forbid anything ever happened to the U.S., but if a third of our population was just wiped out, oh. what happens to us? Devastation. Absolute devastation. Well, to add to it, when, when they were going through and, and anybody with education, anybody that was teaching, anybody considered an intellect, the idea was to wipe them out so that you'd have a populace that would just monkey say, monkey do. And so now come to the U.S. and wipe out all universities, all professors, all professionals, and... Um, thinkers and scientists, and that's a really, really hard thing to recover from, especially now that you're pushing down people that may become the future thinkers and scientists and teachers that aren't because they're afraid that they're going to be persecuted for that. Yeah. Very tough history. Yeah. So, you know, think seeing that for the first time, you're just like, whoa, what, why is this country like this? Or why is the the, the city I was in, Siem Reap, mm-hmm. like this? So, you know, uh, you get to do some personal research when you expose yourself to, to new locations and, and, you know, new external, uh, scenery. I thought that was very, very neat. Um, then I went to Indonesia and the main part of my trip was that I, I booked it because I saw a picture of Mount Bromo and Mount Bromo is this, <laughs> is a very, uh, alive volcano right in the center of Indonesia. And, um, every every morning, there's still sulfur that pops out of the top of the volcano, and you can see that if you climb to the uh, to the watch area of of that summit. 
So that's what I did. I, I traveled there. I, I didn't necessarily know how I was going to get there, but I read a blog. I literally just read a, a blog because that's the only thing I could find. And I didn't have any internet while I was in Indonesia. So I just took pictures of the blog and I kind of followed the directions. So that's a whole nother story, you know, um, that would take all the time of all this podcast right. and another, but, um, you know, the world has made it very easy to follow in the footsteps of others that have either professionally or personally gone through these experiences, mapped them out and helped give you at least some sort of a guidance to where to go. And, um, that that at least gives you the courage to get started, and then what happens from there is always an adventure. Yeah, yeah. You though the exploration has been had by others, you still get the opportunity to have your own. Oh, completely. Yeah. Now, I'm at the top of Mount Bromo, or I'm at the top of the summit, looking Mount Bromo eye to eye. I'm above the clouds. You see the the top of the the volcano, the face of it. You know. Uh, with the sunrise in the background and the sulfur just coming out. And I'm like, Whoa, Holy shit. That picture I saw on Google <laughs> does not do this justice, even though that was freaking cool. Yeah, was cool. So like I made it there. Wow. Okay. Nice. What do I do from here? Well, I met just a couple people on that hike and they're like, we're going to the Geely islands. And I'm like, can I join you? <laughs> and they're like, okay, which is another fun thing that, that happened, uh, on the trip. Like, talk about the speed of trust right um traveling alone you're gonna meet a ton of different people i met a ton of different people and well i could close myself off to them or i can open myself up and you know kind of get this exposure to possibly someone who had a completely different background grew up in a different country and get to travel with them and that's what I did. So I, I, I got to hang out with these people from, uh, I think they were from Europe. And we traveled together to, to the Geely Islands. Uh, we, we all stayed in the same uh, hotel. Yeah, it was, a, it was a hotel. And it was just one of the coolest things I ever got to experience. Um, and the Geely Islands, again, are just uh, east of Bali. They're just off the shore, east of the shores of Bali. And there are three islands. There's a coral reef that surrounds all of the islands. And again, there's no, there's no motors allowed on, on the islands. So, you know, being right in the middle of all that was like, okay, this is absolutely extraordinary. Um, I'm here. <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is nuts. So that was, you know, in a nutshell, most of the trip. Now here, here's the learning point. When I was doing all of that, I found myself multiple times just not being happy, not enjoying myself. And that's what, you know, from looking at it, looking at it now, that's where I was just so just in such confliction. And I know people can relate because they've been in a place where they're supposed to be having a great time. They're supposed, they're supposed to be feeling good, but they, they just didn't. So... I remember being at the top of Mount Bromo, seeing sulfur come out of the face of the volcano, being above the clouds, literally seeing an ocean, but it wasn't the ocean, it was clouds. And you had sunrise coming up. And I was like, man, this is beautiful, but I'm just not happy. Why? I couldn't figure it out. And the whole point of like this quote unquote trip was to 
find myself, find out who I am or what I'm about. Well, I got, I, I challenged myself. I got to do all these extraordinary things and put myself in external locations. But the only place I didn't travel to was inward. I didn't take that inward exploration. I didn't, I didn't buy that ticket and, and try and ask myself, you know, what do I really like? What, what was it about me? What am I, what can I own about myself that, that made me not happy at that job that, that I lost? And when I started doing that, that's when things started changing for me. And I, and I, and I look back at that trip saying, that was amazing. That was such an amazing trip. But really how great could it have been if I explored inward before changing my scenery outward? It's amazing. It's awesome. <laughs> I have yeah. so many ways to reflect to it. I mean, uh, a couple reactions to that is um, I was actually encouraging a very good friend of mine um, to do just that. There was a lot of turmoil in his life. There were big decisions here. Um, he was wrapped up in the mix, uh, family-owned business, um, many different uh, brothers and father involved in that. And I encouraged him so much to go somewhere, anywhere, but get out of here. You know, I mean, it's international. Get to a place where I'm sure you might be curious. I'm sure you might want to see it, but maybe don't do Paris and the Eiffel Tower if that's what you really wanted to see. Go someplace and take some time to get out of the mix and to look inward to try to, um, in the beginning, explore that uncomfortable space long enough to actually dive into it and start making some conclusions. And ultimately, what ended up happening is um, he went to uh, the trip, took a, a little bit of a start himself to go enjoy that, and then I joined uh, to start to explore those things after some of the newness of the place and stuff had faded and whatnot, and I had to dive into that self-search. And I think w something about exploration, travel, being uh, about is that you have the chance to to learn those things. Had you sat here and not lost the job, you may have never had a moment uh, or a separation or realization of unsatisfaction at the top of the mountain or somewhere to look back and say, well, um, you know, who who am I? And... There's so many different ways to take this. I know people that travel for the, I mean, just to kind of travel. And it's sad if you're just going there to get those Instagram pictures and you're not engaging with the culture. And um, I've, I've done that. I've gone to places that just looked really neat that I thought I was there. And I realized, am I thinking about who I am and how I'm engaging and what I want? And I realized rather quickly, I didn't necessarily need to have the photographs in front of um, the wonderful places. In fact, I ended up in Santorini in an off-season. No one was there, showed up thought I was going to take a ferry. There were no ferries because it wasn't summer season. Took a flight and nothing was open. And I was like, oh my gosh, um, this is interesting. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I sat there thinking, this is supposed to be the caldera, the beautiful photographs. This is the, you know, the white buildings with the blue tops that I've always dreamed of. And this just absolutely sucks. And my attitude was in the toilet. And I'm humming around. I go down to the store. There's nobody in town. I buy some cheese that was a risk <laughs> to me. It looked really, you know, their cheese is a little different. We have different cheese than they do. Um, and bought some wine and went for a walk to sit up uh, on, uh, to watch the sunset to kind of figure out how I'm going to make lemonade out of this awful situation of lemons. And this man that didn't speak English comes up, taps me on the shoulder, starts saying words I don't know, and just starts 
guiding me towards an elderly man, probably in his late 80s, if not early 90s. And I walk up to the top of a cobblestone walkway to this tiny little door that opens up into this one room um, covered in photographs and family and through nothing but charades and hand motions and photographs. He explained to me that he had been there his whole life. I mean, zero English and no Google Translator and these wonderful things. And explained that he was there, that he loved Americans. And I, supposedly there were, um, I mean, I believe everything he said, but there were German planes that were crashing in the mountains and in the caldera and that the U.S. had offered some aid to protect during some of the, you know, the, the, the war uh, in the region. And uh, that uh, here's his family and here's the things he believes. And, and that... I almost walked out just feeling ashamed of my own inability to search inward or to recognize what means the most to me, that I'd gone there looking for the a little bit of the superficial and to go down other people's pathways when here the most amazing memory of uh, one of the memories of that trip was just spending time with somebody in their home learning culture and learning about them and their life and uh, feeling that connection to humanity. And I walked out just being like, that where would that have ever come from? You could never plan it. You could never read it on a Lonely Planet book. It, you know, it was just one of those moments. And so I kind of learned to start listening to how am I feeling when I go to places like you described, and what am I seeing? And um, that was a real gift that he gave me that day when I was kind of ashamed of my attitude of this is going to be just garbage, and well, I'll make the most out of it when it ended up being a highlight and just a lesson that now I've kind of looked inward, like you were saying. So. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting that you had that experience due to the loss of a job. I, I met a, and that was what kind of got you started, which it full circled around. I walked into a restaurant up in the Pacific Northwest and I was just sitting there chatting with a gentleman behind the bar um, in this restaurant and he was explaining things to do and I said, oh, I'm not going to be there next week. I'm actually heading down south. He's like, oh, where to? California, San Diego. I was like, no, I'm actually heading uh, to an expedition in the jungle. And he just looked me straight in the face and just said, I've never done anything like that. Tell me more about it. Within five minutes of giving him info, he goes, I'd quit my job this second if I had the opportunity to do that. And I kind of cocked my head and said, are you serious? And he's (laughs) like, I'm serious. I made a few calls, and I texted him the next day. I said, there's a spot on this team if you want to come down. And I kid you not, quit his job. I mean, it was a good job. And he managed to quit his job, walked out the door, came down. We spent two weeks together, and – he comes back and, and gives me credit for just being that connector. Uh, but I know that I've had so many of those in my life that I was thankful for. It, it meant a lot to me to be able to be like, you're the one that walked out and quit your job and had that push to make that choice, just like you lost your job. So I'm going to take that ticket and run. And it is now completely that one little thing, that one conversation has changed radically uh, his life, his goals for the better. He works harder. He has more ambitions for what he's doing. He's back in town running and managing restaurants, but it's like forward thinking of the next place he wants to go. He's seen and touched and seen things that inspired him. And I I was just so amazed by his um, strength and the ability to just um, have such courage to make a step and to make a change. And so whether the unexpected comes or the totally, you're the one that does it, um, it's amazing how if you just are ready and prepared for that opportunity uh, when it comes up and you can take advantage of it, uh, what the world will give you back in return. 100%. And it, I mean, sometimes you're not even prepared. You just take a chance. Like like I'm assuming this, this guy didn't necessarily, he wasn't prepared. He had no idea what <laughs> no. was coming. But you know what? Take the chance. Go explore the unknown. 
Um, and like you, even if you enjoy so many parts of it and then some you're just like, I'm not enjoying this, the question of why uh, mm-hmm. and hearing that and then, oh my gosh, that lesson multiplied throughout your life and where you go and what you do and how you perceive it. And it's just, it's a forever experience. I want to talk on that, that point specifically, it being a forever experience and how it relates to everything that personally I've done um, or specific things that I've done. So when I was, uh, it, when I was younger, um, one thing that I am actually very, very good at is, is finding the job and being, making myself or making someone else who wants a job attractive to the company that they're looking for. And then how to reach out to that person or the, or the company, find the right people to talk to. So, um, I found I, for a while I would go to uh, colleges and talk to their students and get them fired up and really excited about about finding the job. And I was good at it. But where I found myself conflicted was, you know what? I'm not super happy in my job currently. That's a whole other issue. But I'm not super happy with my job why now I'm telling these kids to go chase a job and how to do it and how to, how to do it. Well, I'm conflicted. And I literally caught myself thinking about that when I would tell them. So looking back at it now and through all of the deep exploration that I've, that I've done inward, um, I can now, say confidently, confidently that I'm ready for a redemption and to go back and, and talk to audiences and, and tell them, you know what? I can, I can help you get the job if you want and become attractive to those companies. But here's what I'm, what I'm here to do. I'm here to make you be the best you, you can possibly be like literally close your eyes, take a deep breath, take another deep breath, look at yourself. Step back and really look at yourself being the best you you can possibly be. Literally being the best you you can possibly be. See it. And now tell me who wouldn't want to hire that? Who wouldn't want to be, who wouldn't want that person on their team? What's possible for that person? That's what I'm here to do. Mm -hmm. I'm here to make you that. So I'm not just I'm not here to have you get a job. That's not my my role. That's not my goal. I'm here to make you be the literally best you you can be. I, I think that that's probably, if not the one, it may be one of the top one or two, um, uh, most important points. It's the X factor. It's the fact that if you you truly strive to be excellent. Um, malleable, compatible, a good student, um, adaptable. There are so many things. The opportunities for someone like that will open up so exponentially that it's not um, its not a question of whether or not you'll be successful. It's where did you choose to spend those successful years and those extraordinary years getting things done. And I, I believe that people, people need to have a quiet place provided to them to stop, think, and write down 
what that person looks like. What do they do? How do they behave? What are their relationships? How much, you know, and really describe that person out. And in that process, we'll see and learn what's most important to them, where the biggest um, changes can be made. And they need coaches uh, just to give them the platform to have that thought process and to think it and write it out. And then some accountability or some process to then go out and make those changes. Because, I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this. There's just some people out there that they'll walk in the door and call it charisma, call it personality, call it confidence, call it knowledge. It could be a myriad of things. Almost any company would hire that person, mm-hmm. right? And then, of course, there's specialties where you have to have certain knowledge and whatnot. But I think that these these skills being making sure that you're the best version of yourself and that's a constant constant effort that goes all the way throughout your life and you change over time but um, having a, a form of peers and mentors and whatnot in that space um, is probably the most remarkable thing you could do for you everybody that's in your life um, and it's so inspiring to others because it's so easy to lose track of you know, we want to be hard on yourself. You want to be confident. You want to be glad. You're, you're reassuring yourself that you're good enough and you're okay in a world that uh, has an awful lot of stuff that comes our way to tell us that we're not or we're not good enough looking or we're not talented enough or we're not young enough or we're not strong enough. And so it's one thing to keep yourself positive and put your armor on every day. It's another to constantly improve that person internally and have a space and a form to do that. And mm-hmm. that's something that um, certainly will be part of the mentoring and uh, in my life to hopefully provide that form for people. And I absolutely know you're going to make a huge difference uh, and be that trainer to help people develop into exactly who they're supposed to be. Man, knock on wood. That's that's definitely the goal. And it, it, and it all goes full circle, right? Like, man, you, you've went on these amazing excursions, um, both location-wise and, and business-wise. You've been on great business excursions, but... You had to allow yourself to do that first. You literally had to allow yourself and, and, and be in the right mindset to let yourself do that. So, you know, I, I look to people like you. Um, I, I take your your story as one of my biggest inspirations. It's so, so awesome to see that, you know, you think one way. You're open to thinking other ways. And you've you've taken that. And you've lived this extraordinary life with that mindset. So um, that's that's kind of like where my thoughts are with this. There are so many neat people that have come before us that have written. And as I was thinking through some of the thoughts for today, it was just like, how do you put all the little mentors that made, there were small moments, single decisions, one conversation, one conversation with... Garrett metal detector owner Charles Garrett sitting in Tennessee. Um, one trip to the mall that, that my mom purchased a piece of silver off the Atocha shipwreck. Uh, uh, you know what I mean? That, that I got to see on the screen a, a treasure galleon that was the most remarkable treasure, the most valuable treasure ever found in history, and most 80% of it, everything, all the shipwrecks are still sitting there, out there, not found. 80% of all treasure ever known to be minted or transferred in this planet has been lost and nobody can find it. And it's just like, that's an intense thing for a seven-year-old to look at and be like, wow, what an opportunity. And then to meet with Charles Garrett, treasure hunter, and see 
that he was doing it, that he's the one that's actually still dropping the submarines down and has the team together for a 12-year-old to sit and have a conversation and be like, gosh, that is, it's, it's not just about what we see has already been done and that's just history and good for them. It's like, it's still happening today. I mean, but these were just tiny. If you look at all the hours and uh, days in life, just these little moments that can turn and change and develop us into who we are and give us opportunities and inspiration. And it's, um, I'm so thankful for those minutes. And it's, you know, you can spend a lifetime to find five or six of them or to look back and realize what they were. And I think mm -hmm. recognizing those and then realizing that at some point um, you're that mom or dad that takes the child in and maybe you're not even all that interested but their eyes are wide and mm -hmm. you're the Charles Garrett that's saying yeah I happen to know a little bit about what it's like to be up that high or down that deep and uh, this is what it's like and uh, he wouldn't remember my name I'd be I mean I'd be amazed if you remember that conversation he'd be, knowing him he probably would but um, maybe um, but what a difference in my life and I think that the work to help you know appreciate those moments when they come and then to provide those for other people and just be that touch is is such a cool thing yeah and this entire you know podcast is right on track with that and i i just i hope out of the you know thousands and thousands of listeners and and you know those that are rolling their eyes being like maybe this isn't hitting them right in the hard spot that the others are being like ah that's that's it found it and mm -hmm. uh and that well, journey is exciting. <laughs> whether that's like, hell yeah, or like, damn, that's yeah. dope. Yeah. You know, whatever <laughs> totally, it is. Totally. Um, so. But yeah, it's just, it comes down to the, the point of the mission of this podcast, you know. Yeah. Find extraordinary. You can look for it. You will find it at the darkest depths or the, the highest heights, you know. Yeah. And it's about finding it, being proactive and looking, you know, just the search. It's like extraordinary may bump into you, mm -hmm. um, but it's it bumps into you on the run because it's where it's going. Yeah. And it's like, so you need to either be in the driver's seat or you're, you're just watching it drive by. And, uh, and so I know certainly the, the people you've had a chance to interview have, have found some amazing seams of extraordinary. And, uh, and hopefully, um, well, I know for sure that uh, their stories and your story and our stories uh, will hopefully inspire some people. So. Man, that is the plan. That is the goal. Cool. Keith, man, I want to thank you again, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you so me. much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. I hope I was able to provide some insight and some knowledge that will help you expand your mind and ultimately your life. Now, you've already done more than enough by listening to the podcast, but if you want to go above and beyond and really help me, you can subscribe to my podcast and rate it on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whatever your favorite streaming platform is for podcasts. This will ultimately help me grow, and that's what we're all about here. So I am really looking forward to the next time that I get to spend time with you on the podcast. And until then, stay extraordinary. <laughs>